This is the Audibles and Analytics Podcast back with you. It's a Thursday night, and I'm recording with a man and a legend that I have been excited to record with for literally weeks now, Taylor Kyles, who works for Next Gen Stats as a researcher at NFL Network. I'm I'm so excited to have you on, Taylor, because I got turned on to your stuff a couple months ago, and you and I have been trying to make this work and like find a week that worked for both of us, and I was traveling, and you're busy, and we're kind of going back and forth, and we finally were able to click it in right before Christmas, and I'm stoked we get to talk about nine playoff te- playoff caliber teams, play teams that are in the hunt or in the picture right now in the AFC, and I couldn't think of anybody better to bring on with me to discuss this than you at Taylor Kyles, that's T Kyles 39 on Twitter. Taylor, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for having me. What you were too kind to say is that I have been a huge pain in the butt when we're trying to schedule <laughs> no these way. things. You're too nice to say it. I'll admit it. I've been super annoying to try to peg down, but I'm so glad it's like an early Christmas present. We finally get to do this. So I'm pumped, man. It's great. You're grinding is what you're doing. Next-gen stats, doing the research, the stats you're putting out and the ways you're looking at the game and pushing that that group there at NFL Network to look at the game, um, I think is so necessary for the space. And it's one of been one of the kind of pillars of what's revolutionized the space. And I know you weren't there necessarily when that started, but the fact that you've been there to continue to lend a hand to that and continue to push that forward is really encouraging to me as somebody who really cares deeply about the space and just cares about content being good and people getting opportunities and growing and using their opportunities to create unique content. And then you're also covering the Patriots as well, doing stuff, Pat's pulpit and got your, got your eye on that team as well um, from a media standpoint. And so because of that, Taylor, tonight, you're going to have the four AFC East teams because they're all in the playoff picture, which doesn't happen very often uh, going into week 15 where all four teams in a division are, but they are all four. All the years we watched that division, it was one team and a bunch of teams you could care less about. Not this year, four teams in the picture. So you're going to talk about all four of those teams a little bit tonight. I'm going to talk about the other five teams um, in the AFC right now that are in that picture, the Chiefs and the Chargers, the Bengals and the Ravens, and unfortunately by default the titans as well no disrespect <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's just how i see it we're going to talk about all those teams tonight and those are the nine teams right now i know there's other teams that are technically still in the hunt and shout out to the jags who i think we're both a little bit keen on what they're doing right now and the direction they're heading probably not gonna happen this year but we'll be talking about them on this pod at some point in this playoff picture podcast but tonight we're going to talk about the yeah though mainly those nine teams um and so let's start go and start with the buffalo bills who i think are a team that a lot of people see maybe at the top of that and what we're going to do in this podcast uh as taylor knows and as the listeners are kind of wondering how we're going to attack this we're going to kind of make an argument for and an argument against each of these teams what's the best argument for them to make a path forward in the playoffs um to be a real contender this isn't just to like win a playoff game maybe or make the playoffs but this is to be a contender if this team is going to contend for a super bowl which i would say is probably like winning the AFC champ or being an AFC championship game at least, or pushing to be in it, maybe being competitive divisional playoff round team. That's how I'm going to choose to define it basically um, at this point, what team, if they were going to do that, what would have to happen? What would be the argument for that path unfolding before these teams? And so you kick us off with the bills, Taylor. I know you did some research, took a look at Buffalo, obviously off to a great start this season. What do you think that best case scenario and worst case scenario is kind of for the bills moving forward? I think the best case scenario was really Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs working their magic, to be very honest. Like, this is one where I really just didn't want to overthink it. Obviously, their defense has been dealing with injuries, but still, I mean, they're so deep. They got like a stud at every single position. So, you know, they're not always too far off, and they've still done really well, as I said, with all the injuries and things like that. So they're Mm -hmm. 
not a liability, you know, so it's really just as the offense going to be as dominant as it has to be to make life easier on the defense and certain games and whatnot. But man, really, one of the things I was digging up today was Josh Allen's been one of the best QBs under pressure lately, which if you're watching, I'm sure is very surprising. You see him extending plays, making ridiculous throws against my Patriots. Unfortunately, there was that crazy touchdown he threw where he was basically out of bounds, got just enough away from the defender to make that crazy throw to Gabe Davis. So, you know, when you got a guy like that, you're never going to be out of the game. And then Stephon Diggs, of course, is, you know, 1A, 1B right now, I feel like, with him and uh, mm-hmm. Justin Jefferson. 1C if you want to throw Devontae Adams into that mix. But the chemistry that those two have, it really just gets to the point where when they really need to have a play, it's pretty unlikely you're going to be able to stop them. You saw it where uh, it was against the – Lions on Thanksgiving, where they needed to get a chunk of place to get in the field goal range, put Stefan Diggs in the slot, throw it to him. Keyhole coverage got there in such a great amount of time, but still, Stefan was able to make a really tough catch through contact. And then it just took one more Josh Allen run, and they were in position to win that game. So I don't really see how you can't you can't overlook either one of these guys. And if they're going to go far, I really think it's going to be on the backs of those guys just doing what they do and making life hard for defenses and keeping them in those tight games. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And Diggs maybe even needing to be like one of those transcendent guys. I think the thing with Diggs throughout his career is, is he been a tier? Is he a tier one wide receiver? Is he in the conversation mm-hmm. with the guys? who changed the game no matter the coverage, no matter the matchup, uh, no matter the alignment with the ball in their hands. And then before the catch as well, like when the ball's in the air, like all those different ways, is he that guy or is he like the top of tier two? And that is really, Mm. I have kind of gone back and forth between that his whole career. Like I've always loved him. I even was higher on him in his draft coming out than it seems like most teams were. Uh, But then when the push comes to shove, I'm always like, is he tier one? Is he with Julio Jones when he was in his prime? Devontae Adams, now even, um, you know, A.J. Brown, some of these guys that I see, A.J. Brown and Justin Jefferson, I see those guys mm-hmm. in that mold. Is he that kind of a player or is he like the top of tier two where you would have him surely ahead of like the Tyler Lockett's and maybe even the Mike Evans, different different type of receiver, but those types of guys, but you wouldn't have him in that tier one. And that's why I think we're going to find out a lot about during these playoff runs, we've seen him in other playoff runs step up. And I do t- actually think he is a tier one wideout. But mm-hmm. it, it sure would be nice, Taylor, if some of these other wideouts stepped up and helped out a little bit as well. We see a little bit of a resurgence of Dawson Knox in recent weeks. But man, they just signed Cole Beasley. And so how's he going to play into all this? Gabe Davis is certainly at his moments, definitely in the playoffs. And so yeah. it will be easier, easy to see what those guys do in terms of stepping up because if that happens, I feel like the Bills go back to being an unstoppable offense. Lately, that hasn't happened. It's left them searching and and thinking about what wide receiver should they should what wide receiver should they acquire to be on the field with Diggs. But I feel like if those guys can step up too, it'll be even more unstoppable. But even if it's just Diggs, and it might just be in terms of a difference maker in that offense, he's got to find a way to be enough to carry that offense in the playoffs, which because they're not going to run the ball that much. We know that. So he will be one of the players under the microscope as the playoffs start, I think. Hundred percent. Honestly, that kind of leads me. I don't know if I take it away from you, but it segues perfectly into why I think you know if they're not going to make a real push, it is the fact that it's really Stephon Diggs and then a bunch Mm, of other guys. Now, it's even tough to say that because again, you've seen what Gabe Davis could do. He went off last year in the playoffs. This there's points in this year where all you have to do is throw a goal ball at him, and he's probably going to give you a spectacular play. 
he's got that like one a one b type of talent where when he's on his game it really turns into like oh my god like what do we do how do we stop both of these guys but he hasn't been very consistent Dawson Knox is a very talented player you know especially when plays break down or when Allen's kind of going underneath and they need a bit of a play even down the seams Dawson Knox can be that guy but you don't see it enough that you're saying okay Dawson Knox especially in an offense that wants to pass the ball you're not really talking about Dawson Knox is like top five top 10 tight ends really even though he's got the talent and at times he looks like he could be one of those types of players then you got Isaiah McKenzie who again against my pats last year he had a fantastic game toasted Miles Bryant used that speed and really gave them a lot of problems but you're also seeing why he's been a backup for a lot of his career because the consistency just isn't there and what you started to see we've been seeing a lot this season is Josh Allen overcompensating, it feels like, for knowing, okay, the offense maybe isn't being as consistent as it usually is. You know, we're not moving the ball quickly. We're not getting these big plays. And there have been moments where he seems to overcompensate. And then you start seeing more of that turnover-worthy, you know, Josh Allen that we were seeing more of in seasons past where he was just making boneheaded mistakes where you're saying, you know, he'll grow out of this. We'll stop seeing this. And we did, you know, last season, especially during the playoffs, especially against Mahomes, they were going back and forth, back and forth. There's no turnovers. Nobody's making any mistakes. It's just two of the most talented QBs in the game going at it. But if this, and he did better last week, I do want to give Allen credit for that, mm -hmm. but it was really the first time in a while that he hadn't put the ball in harm's way at least yeah. once in the game. So we've seen, they have the potential to literally score on every drive, but it needs to be a situation where Allen understands, even if they're struggling, the plays will come. If things break down, as he was really doing a better job of last season and for some of this season where he's saying, okay, just because it's not there doesn't mean I need to make some kind of magic happen if it's not in an ideal situation. you know, Because he makes so much magic work in ridiculous ways, it's hard to even fault him when he does that. But that turnover free football is really when they look completely unstoppable. So if they're going to get derailed, I think it's going to be in one of those tight games where no one can make a mistake and then maybe he overcompensates. And then yeah. there's also the elbow injury, which yeah. if he's throwing downfield, you have no idea there's anything wrong with him, which is insane. Like if he's going 10 or more yards down the field, he looks normal Josh Allen, nothing crazy there. But more in the quick and short passing game is where you see him throw some passes that are just completely inaccurate. And it's kind of like, all right, there's something going on for sure with him physically because the consistency is not there. Whereas recently we've seen that he's a very good underneath passer and he's good at, you know, putting the ball where he needs to. So his guys can get the best ability to get yards after the catch, so on and right. so forth. But you're seeing that there's less consistency. And it's, you know, again, I'm thinking in the playoffs, if you need one play and you know, it's just one where it kind of gets away from him where he needs a short, like, fourth and two conversion on a little slant to digs or something like that. And just because of that arm, you know, it's an inch off and the defender's got tight coverage and that makes the difference. So, again, it always seems to be Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs keeping this team in games when they are tight because they're so unstoppable. But it's the turnovers, the potential for turnovers, and some of the inconsistency in the underneath game because of that injury that I could see potentially mm -hmm. being the difference maker in those tight playoff games like we saw them in last year. Yeah, and I like that you didn't even, you know, not even mentioning the defense there. I, I kind of like it, though. I mean, like, we can talk about losing Von Miller, and I'm not saying it won't have an impact. We could talk about losing Micah Hyde and Trey White maybe not being all the way back this season. We'll see, you know, as he progresses and eases into a bigger role, like, those things could all certainly have an impact, but like we haven't really seen any evidence of it yet. Like they've continued to be right. able to get after the quarterback okay. They've continued to be fine in coverage. And certainly it'll be better if Trey White's back to 100%. I think they can overcome Mike Hyde loss. 
Vaughn Miller's an interesting one. We'll see. Their defensive line looked pretty good last week still. Ed Oliver's taking a leap. Rousseau is trying his best to prove me wrong and give me an L on my draft take on him, but we'll see uh, what ends up happening with him. He was productive. I, I think some of those were covered sacks, but hey, still, he's getting after it. He's being productive and they need yeah. that uh, from that position. Um, so yeah, it will be interesting to see, I, but I'm with you. I think it really is actually the questions for them are more on the offensive side of the ball, even though I feel like they've been good there. Obviously, they've been great on both sides this season. If they're going to get derailed, it'll be because of concerns on that side of the ball, maybe, I think. Um, and I would put your, Vaughn in yeah, the four ahead. category, by the way. I would put Vaughn four because when yeah. you need that final drive where the other team has to score, that's mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, my God, they have Vaughn Miller. What are we going to yeah. do? <laughs> like, so We've seen just it. Just to yeah. be very clear, he yeah. is a difference maker, but this team runs through the offense. Right, exactly. And not having him is going to be – I'm just very curious to see if their defense can continue their front, especially if they're going to keep rushing for can continue to win at the levels of the, cause I think he does change a lot, but so far so good for them. Um, I'll jump in with the Bengals here. Uh, here's my argument for the Bengals. They have woken up to what they needed to change in a huge way. And I give them credit as much as we give their coaching staff and Zach Taylor, like a lot of flack. I know people on Twitter often do. He has stepped up, man. Since losing to the Browns in week eight, the Bengals have the highest EPA per play on first down of any team in the NFL. Anybody who listens to this podcast, I talk about it all the time. People could talk about third down stats all they want. What you do on first down typically determines what kind of football team you are. Like it not always, not universally, not every quarterback. Some quarterbacks can bail you out. Brady did it for years and, and even in Tampa Bay. Last couple of years, they haven't been. The, uh, last year, they ended up improving on the first down in a lot of ways. Um, but he has been one of those quarterbacks that gets you out of jams a lot. It's not always going to happen, though. It's dangerous to live that way all the time, what happens on third down. and What happens on first down is much more controllable and has a lot more options for you as to how you attack first down, how you how balanced you are on first down. Um, and that doesn't mean 50-50. That just means balance to what you do well. And the Bengals, they throw the ball well. That's what they do. And they're fine at running it, too. But a lot of what they do, run the ball, is set up by the pass. They are uh, almost double the 49ers, who are the second-place team in first down EPA since that Week 8 loss. So they are killing it on first down way out of everybody else in the league on first down epa in weeks one through eight taylor they were near the bottom of the league in first down epa they were one of the worst teams in the league on first down what they have done is they said we're just going to go pass heavy that's what we're going to do we're going to lean on joe burrow we're going to ask him to solve all the problems um he is our guy we think he's transformative and he is a franchise player and he has accepted that mantle and he's played better than any quarterback in the league in my opinion over the last six weeks or so so they need to keep winning those situations on first down. And I believe that they will. I think they've leaned into this philosophy and they are riding it now. Like they are all on this uh, on board of, of winning first down and believing they can spread the field, uh, give him five eligibles and do it that way. And he is so far has proven them absolutely right so far. So that is the argument for the Bengals, in my opinion, is to continue to be aggressive on first down. If you do, I don't know as long as those receivers stay healthy and we're assuming health for all these situations, unless we know of an injury already, I don't know that there's a team that can match up with them, especially in the AFC. If you look and say who can match up with these receivers and take away all the eligibles that they have on a given play with how good they are and how good Burrow is, it's very difficult to do that when they lean into their strength as much mm-hmm. as the Bengals have. And that's why I think even when you see the Browns kind of, they had so much luck getting pressure and I'll get to that in a second early in the game against Burrow. And even as the game went on, the Bengals didn't put up points for a while, but they were just so good on that side of the ball that they didn't really yeah. change. They kept, like killing their tackles, but the Bengals just solved it because their weapons and burrow are just so good and not many teams can boast that. So 
in my opinion, that's like the path traveled for the Bengals. Keep leaning into what you're great at because right now they look like the best team in the league, arguably, by leaning into what they're really good at. Absolutely. And I understand, I understood the idea of wanting to lean on Mixon on first downs early in the season because I'm I'm a big pro Mixon guy. I really do think he's one of the better backs in the league. And obviously Zach Taylor comes from that tree with the LA Rams where they got a lot of good running backs. And that's usually what the, not that they're the same systems. They're quite different. And the biggest problem for them earlier in the season was that predictability where again it's under center you know exactly what's coming then they get in the shotgun and you already know it's going to be pass and now like you said leaning into their strengths because yes it's great that you have a really good running back but you also have joe burrow and you also have two number one wide receivers like you know there's a certain way you can go in in this nfl if you got the great passing offense you're better off leaning into it so it's uh it's definitely been nice to see them kind of commit to what their actual strength is on offense and use the run game as more of a complimentary piece. And now you're starting to see them rolling in that department as well. Absolutely. And the argument against them really is pretty simple. Their offensive tackles are horrendous. Um, and yeah. all it takes is a few plays in a game in the playoffs, just a strip sack or a couple of negative plays. Um, and it can really derail things a little bit. Now that is probably one of the worst pairings in the league this season. Uh, Williams, Jonah Williams, left tackle was even better last season. Lyle Collins was, um, it being this bad was hard to foresee, I believe. Um, I'd never seen him play this bad in his entire career. Uh, he's been one of the better right tackles in the league at other points. See, his game has just fallen flat on its face this season. And Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney just took him to the cleaners last week. So I'm not sure what the path forward for those two is on their individual NFL journeys, but for this season, they're probably going to be the starters. If they hasn't replaced him at this point, they have no better option. So one of those two guys are both derailing their season is a possibility because of how bad they've been. And they're not much better in the run game either. That's the thing. You're not getting much of a boost on that side either, which is frustrating um, for both of them. I thought Collins had more potential there, but even last week I saw him watching the tape and he's falling off blocks and getting pushed around. And so it is hard to survive two tackles that bad. If there's a quarterback who can do it, it's Burroughs. If there's receivers who can get open still, it's these guys that's going to be the path that derails them. Those of those guys keep getting whooped. I mean, there's injuries in defense. Certainly they've had to overcome and we'll see how that all works out. I mean, Trey Hendrickson lost with a broken wrist, but he should be back for the playoffs. Um, he is really their only individual difference making pass rusher. Shout out DJ reader. He's a beast. Um, but I do think sure. Hendrickson's the little guy winning one-on-one that can really make a difference. And so we'll just have to see what he gets back, what kind of shape he's in when he gets back. But that to me is the biggest concern for them right now is those tackles. They could just get worked over. Um, so that would be what, what scares me about them. You've got the dolphins as well. Yes, here. sir. What's your, what's your argument for the dolphins? I'm curious to hear your argument for and against They're the team under fire right now, because of the way yeah. they've looked the past two weeks after going, they were what undefeated with two at quarterback for a while there. Now yeah. suddenly the question marks are out. Yeah. Well, four, I went pretty simple again. They have Tyreek Hill. Like it's, it's similar to that, like step on dig Josh Allen effect where that combo, it's just like at the end of games, you're really worried about those guys. Tyreek Hill is that player where he even saw it briefly. It didn't make a difference in the long run, but in the Chargers Dolphins game, Dolphins aren't doing anything, anything on offense. And then, oh, they put Tyreek Hill all the way outside to get a true one-on-one matchup, toss it up. You got a touchdown. Like, also, you can always fumble, a... right? You can always fumble backwards to him. That's always... Oh, of course. <laughs> I I legitimately, I think I, I screamed. My my girlfriend was like whipping up dinner and I'm watching this covering the game. And as soon as he picked it up, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. There's no way. There's no way. And then as soon as he gets to the edge, you see no one. Everyone else is moving at half speed. 
And that was one of the craziest plays I've ever seen in my life. If um, the Chargers yeah. would have lost that game, it would have been like the most Chargers loss ever because of ever. like how unlucky do you have to be to ball bounces out of a pile to the fastest dude in the league with nobody in front of him. Just and if that had been the game changing play that won the game, it would have been on top ten until oh, you know for another for ten sure. years. It would have been for ridiculous. Sure. Uh, but those two plays encapsulate like this guy is a game changing presence, even if it's not in a way that you necessarily expect. So I really and he's also I think just the person that makes the entire system work. I think Jalen Waddle is obviously a very talented player, but Tyree Kill has shown that he's not just a really fast guy. He's a top receiver who can make contested catches, who in the tough situations can be that dog that really comes down and makes the plays that you need to, on top of being the fastest player in the league and one of the hardest guys to bring down, who can literally stop his feet and put the fear of God in the hearts of defenders. Um, So obviously, I think he's the biggest game changer for them offensively. Now, to give the defense some love, I really do think the fact that they have Bradley Chubb and their four three-man rushes have been a lot better. All of their pressure numbers have looked significantly better since they acquired Chubb because they were one of the worst teams in the league when they weren't blitzing and trying to get pressure that way. They just weren't getting anything home. Now, lately, they haven't had necessarily the toughest slate of games when it comes to their competition on the offensive line. But at the same time, the things that Chubb's doing, the things that Melvin Ingram is doing, Dude is just not slowed down. He's been a great situational pass rusher for them. Jalen Phillips is producing at a top 20 level. He's been one of their most productive pass rushers. He's looking really good in year two. And then Christian Wilkins is just doing whatever he wants inside. So I really do think that their pass rush could be a difference maker. I think against teams like I'm assuming when they play Josh Allen, as long as the weather isn't total crap, I really do think they're going to tone down on the blitzing and really play more coverage and rely on that four-man rush because Allen cooked them when they tried to blitz uh, the last time around. So going to be interesting to see whether they – I mean, I think they'll stay with their pressure looks. Like, that is their identity. I do think they'll keep, you know, sending five to try to get the one-on-one matchups, kind of showing the cover zero looks as well. But I would like to see them kind of lean on the guys that they have play more coverage and maybe that'll help their defense a little bit but at the very least it gives them more versatility and the knowledge that you know when they do need to play coverage or when they aren't sending all those aggressive blitzes they can actually get to the quarterback yeah the chub point is a good one because he's it's been interesting to analyze that trade i said to ollie a couple weeks ago on the podcast that i wouldn't have given that up for bradley chubb what they gave up but i am understanding of the fact that they see themselves in a win now window and in not having to pay Bradley Chubb is one of the reasons why I wouldn't have given up because he's a guy that I just don't feel like he's been the same player in his career before this season. And also there's injuries. So there's a lot of reasons why not. But I understood the fact that by acquiring him, you basically ensure that in four-man rush situations, there's no easy matchup for the offense. Like right. there's no easy mm-hmm. way for them to take you out of what you want to do. And bottom line, I mean, the Dolphins have relied on the blitz so heavily the last couple of years. And, you know, I know obviously Flores isn't there anymore, but Boyer still worked with them. And so like, there's still this element of they're still, we're going to do what we do. And their blitzing obviously decreasing a lot this season was, was big, I think, in terms of making them less predictable for teams to play against, but you need Boyer pass rush if you're going to do that, if you're going to win one V one in four man, five man pass rush situations. And so that's how they wanted to play. They said that's going to be our shift and that we're going to try and beat teams that way because they've looked – everybody's winning the playoffs the last couple of years. You can't just live by blitzing almost all the time. You have to be able yeah. to get pressure with four. And 
look, that's what they're that's what they're doing right now. Is it's not like Bradley Chubb is this lone by himself transformative piece, but he's another plus pass rusher added to a group of three already plus pass rushers, mm-hmm. and now it makes you that much more formidable. Where you don't have to win, you don't have to have Jalen Phillips win every single rep. He just has to win twenty five percent of the reps, you know, hypothetically or something like that. Um, and so yeah, it makes you that much more formidable. So the move made sense to acquire him, even if it was an overpay. It probably will be an overpay to him in free agency as well. Agreed. And also one of the bigger things that I noticed this year is teams are just getting a lot more answers for those cover zero looks that they like mm-hmm. on late downs where there were a few years like when Flores was on the Patriots where you really saw that teams did know how to defend it because you try to throw over the middle, they show pressure, but then they'll have like a defensive tackle kind of drop mm-hmm. back and now they're going to hand on it, just pick it off, force guys to hold on to the ball. But then you started seeing this season, teams are just going to keep a lot of guys in to protect. I've used a double move or a deeper inbreaker so you can get over the kind of jam in the middle of the defense, get right over their heads. And the Ravens, I think, scored two touchdowns using that kind of strategy. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, like we said, they needed something to at least be more formidable and not have to rely on, okay, we need to just show pressure and get the ball out of the quarterback's hands quickly. Now they can at least have the versatility of the quarterbacks knowing, okay, even if they're showing pressure, there's a good chance they're going to send four. And I still need to get the ball out in a decent amount of time or one of these one-on-one matchups that they've created is going to get home. Right. All in branches yeah. it the other day on the podcast, but it was like the Dolphins game was perfect. Or the four Niners game was a perfect example. They were like just doing their thing. Like they've been doing four man rush. Jimmy gets hurt or, uh, or was it Jimmy that got hurt? Yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy got hurt. I think in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, What's his face comes in? Brock Purdy comes in, and they're all of a sudden like, "Oh, new kid! Like never played in the NFL before. We're gonna blitz the heck out of him." So they start trying to go after him, and that was the only thing Purdy could do was solve the blitz. Like he was just right. like, "Oh, you're gonna send everybody? I'll just throw this wide open guy." Like, and he was calm and, and collected, and they thought they could just rattle him. And it ain't that game anymore. Like with everybody, mm-hmm. I'm not gonna say it doesn't work with any quarterback, but it's a lot harder to rattle these guys by sending the house than it used to be. Like, if there's yeah. one thing guys are ready for, it's the physical limitations that you got to test with quarterbacks more than it is the mental stuff. Now I think teams mm-hmm. are saying, Oh, I'll rather take a backup that mentally is going to get everything right when they get in the game and, or a quarterback in general, that's going to get everything right when they get in the game mentally in these checks and these pressures, it looks against pressure and things like that. Then if they're going to you know, throw the ball five, you know, 500 yards from their knees or whatever, like some of these guys, like that, that's not as important to them as it is getting a guy who mentally understands the game at that high level. And you saw Purdy in the box trying, Oh, we're going to do the same thing. And they send cover zero and he throws a touchdown to McCaffrey over their heads while he's getting cleaned up uh, uh, in the, in the pocket. So, I mean, it's just one of those things that like, yeah, you better be real careful with these looks now because they got these young bucks coming off the bench that have never even played. They know how to solve it. So Exactly. You put it out there against some of these dudes in the playoffs, like you're gonna get cooked up. So it it was necessary for Miami. He was the only real option. It wasn't ideal. I think it's gonna could be a contract we look at down the road. Like we say didn't have to pay that one, but I this, these are the things. These aren't black and white situations where you can just say oh good or bad with a lot of these trades. There's a lot of nuance involved with looking at them, and so that's part of it with the Chubb deal. But anyway, go ahead. What's your argument against the Dolphins? And then against, I think if. Tua isn't able to adapt to things like what we saw against the Chargers, where they really commit to trying to take away the intermediate middle of the field and take away some of the RPO packages that the Dolphins really lean on. And on top of that, I really don't like getting in a player's head, so I'm not going to speculate or anything. But just because we do know that confidence was an issue for him before this year when he really wasn't feeling like he – like he even said that he didn't know if he really deserved to be his starting quarterback in the NFL – And if defenses are able to continue to get in his head, throw him off, and he has kind of a cold streak, that's something that I could see potentially derailing this team because 
I'm not going to act like one of the other top quarterbacks in the league wouldn't go into that system and light the world on fire. But Tua has made it work. I mean, he's at the top of all these passing statistics for a reason. He's been productive. And you can say, oh, the receivers are making great catches. Uh, you know, the system's working, da 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 da, da. Someone's got to still operate it. You know, Teddy Bridgewater wasn't doing it. Skylar Thompson wasn't doing it. Tua was able to, you know, play to his strengths. He's a really good processor when, you know, it's earlier on in the down. He's got great eyes. He's good at manipulating defenders and working inside a certain system. But I think he also took a step this season in being able to not just rely on those RPO packages, but actually dropping down and feeling confident going downfield without everything needing to be perfect. And sometimes even under pressure where we previously see him kind of make boneheaded mistakes or just his fundamentals would collapse. And then it's like, okay, this is not you know, this isn't the guy that's going to lead a Super Bowl offense. We saw a lot of that kind of take a back seat. But then I think what we're starting to see a little bit more recently is, I'll use the Chargers game for an example. What they do a lot was have one defender, Mike Davis, towards the boundary. He'd be locked into man coverage with a deep safety given help on the other side. So they essentially were playing a split field coverage with help towards where all the other receivers are. Mm -hmm. And then just pretty much man with the safety to that side, looking to find any crossers that the Dolphins love to throw to. And Tua either had to hold the ball an extra second and pressure got there. Uh, he would kind of notice it a little bit late and the throw would either just be a bad decision or it wouldn't be where it was. And when you did see him actually try to get away from the middle of the field and say, all right, let me try to take some outside shots. They weren't really close except for the, obviously the touchdown to Tyreek. So if we can see him say, okay, you know, one, I think McDaniel could help him for sure with some more legitimate runs so that you have to respect both elements of the RPO game and say, okay, it's not just going to be a pass option backside. Everybody is blocking and we need to make sure we have numbers and can defend these plays. But on two side of it, it's also, okay, can you make the plays outside the numbers and force mm -hmm. the defense to protect the entire field instead of just saying, we are going to take everything in the ashes and make you throw anywhere else and show us you can do it. If he yeah. can't, that's what I think is going to ultimately uh, kick this Dolphins team out of the playoffs. Yeah, that's that's the key. I mean, I think you nailed it. Like Tua, is he's played so well, uh, and that deserves praise. And everybody's heard me talk about. We've talked about Tua a lot in the last two weeks on the podcast, and you know. But you're exactly right. Outside the numbers, he didn't even attempt to pass in the intermediate areas of the field outside the numbers against the Chargers. Like he doesn't want to throw the ball there and four hours made him throw the ball there too. And you know, the results, I think he was three of eight and he missed a couple throws out there. Like teams want him to do that. And guess what? He can't get outside of the pocket either. Like when he does, he just can't throw on the move. He can't do anything out of structure off platform. Mm -hmm. Like he can't play that way. And teams know that. And so they are going to take away the middle of the field stuff, force him to find a throwing lanes to the outside. Can he throw to the outside without being able to roll out of the pocket? Um, Cause that's pretty much off the table for them almost at this point, when they try to move him off platform, it's horrendous. Like it's almost yeah, comical. Exactly. He can't throw off platform, which so just, he is good at what they asked him to do. It has been a perfect fit. Can he ever at some point operate outside of that? That will be, yeah, that will be, that's, that's what I think it's well said that, that is just telling for the future of the dolphins under Tua, but certainly if they can stay in the wheelhouse of what he's good at, it, it could be a wrap for teams. Um, I'll jump to the Chargers next. Argument for the Chargers is very simple. So I'll use that with some of these guys. They have a cyborg quarterback. They have a quarterback yep. that I believe is a tier one quarterback in the NFL. There is no area of the field, as I mentioned last or earlier this week, talking with Ollie. There's no area of the field that's off limits to him. So we talk about that intermediate outside the numbers for two, like things like that. I don't see any of those limitations with Herbert. And he manages the pocket extremely well, too. He's a guy that eyes in the back of his head against pressure. Those are 
key elements, I think, of when you talk about ceiling of a quarterback, how does he manage the pocket uh, in all situations? Um, while is he able to do so while, while maintaining the ability to play within structure, keep his eyes down the field, maintain his throwing motion, all of those things. And then what does he do in terms of like, is there an area of the field you can eliminate? If you eliminate that area of the field, that he struggles to be able to attack you. And the answer with both of those things is no, there's no concern there with him. So because of that, there's a lot on the table. Just in every time the Chargers line up, there's a lot on the table. Now, do they use all that very well? Do they scheme for that very well? Do they give him a lot of options at the table? Do they spread the field like Burrow and give him five eligibles and let him go to town? No. Uh, and so that's a big concern. Uh, so we'll get to some of those concerns as well. But I would say the cyborg quarterback. And the other thing I'll just add, just an improved health. Like this team has been cursed, but it looks like Derwin James and Joey Bosa and maybe Rayshon Slater as well all could be back. If they make the playoffs, Slater seems like likely to be back at that point, perhaps. And we'll see what kind of shape he's in. But very interested to see what they look like in that shape. I mean, it's not like the Chargers just lose players. They lose their best players, you know, and so that's right. that's what makes it hard to, you know, we're seeing Mike Williams and Keenan Allen just starting to get back into shape and how they were before injuries playing uh, back in the lineup. So it, things are starting to slot into place a little bit better for them. Now, the argument against Taylor is, is that they face the most third downs of any team in the NFL uh, on a per game basis this season. Yep. They just think too small offensively. They they go big. He will throw deep, but he does it out of desperation eventually because they're in mm -hmm. trouble on third down a lot of the time. And they're in third down so much. It is just so hard. And people are, are probably get tired of hearing me talk about this on the pod, but it's so hard to live in third down all the time as an offense and rely on being able to convert third downs for your good games, quote unquote, offensively. Because even the best teams in the NFL aren't, aren't converting third down at that high of a clip. And so you are still looking at a ton of failed drives if you can't get first downs on first down or second down. Um, so because of the fact that they think too small and they basically game plan series by series, and I mean that like first to third down as a series, rather than uh, game to game or drive to drive, or even like quarter to quarter. This is how we're going to attack. We're going to, we're looking to do accomplish this and this. No, they're saying we're gonna, on this next play. We're looking to accomplish it. We're looking to get in third manageable. That's a losing mentality. Like that's, 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 that's almost as bad as the, the fourth and short punting uh, when the analytics say go for it. Like that, that's not the mentality you want offensively. And it's definitely not the mentality you want offensively when your quarterback is a freak of nature. So they have mm -hmm. to look for more explosives on early downs and stop asking Herbert to constantly save them in third down situations. Any quarterback, no matter how good they are, will have a hard time sustaining that for any extended run, especially against the best teams in the league and against even more efficient offenses on the other side of the ball. Even if he can sustain that and play well, other offenses are avoiding and skipping third down entirely and are getting to points faster and are getting to points more efficiently. Um, and because of that, it's going to be hard for the Chargers to keep up, even if it's a, an offensive kind of boat race type of game. Um, and so because of that, I think that's the biggest thing against them. Like right now, they've got to start to think the game bigger on earlier downs. Otherwise, they're going to get derailed. And what I wish we would see more from them is it's clear that Joe Lombardi wants to play, you know, that Drew Brees quick passing game underneath, you know, relatively conservative. I wish it had more elements of like the Seahawks or the Jaguars who both have quarterbacks who they know can throw down fields. So what you see a lot is it's, it's a lot of like with the, with the Seahawks it's stick, it's curl. A lot of it's pretty boring, 
But then they'll also give Geno options where he can, you know, hit a fade if he finds a good matchup. Or there still are chunk plays built in where you can have this hyper-efficient offense if you want it, which the Chargers also have problems with because they had so many injuries. There just aren't a lot of guys with the dynamic ability to operate that and, you know, get chunk plays where, you know, you catch a ball and you make something great happen after the catch. But it feels like you said, Herbert's doing it out of desperation rather than, you know, the coaches encouraging him, okay, yeah, we want to throw this stick on first down. But if you're getting man coverage backside with Mike Williams, hit that every time, you know, and it doesn't feel like he's being encouraged to do it. These plays may be there and, you know, the the routes may be there, but there's clearly a difference in, you know, Lawrence and Geno have the confidence to go downfield if they get the right situation. And I think Geno even more is closer to the Herbert category where sometimes they get in third and longs. And then it's like, all right, Gino, we need you, like you said, to bail us out. And then he's able to throw to Lockett and uh, DK Metcalf and things work out. But a lot of the season, Herbert hasn't had those options. And even when he has his full complement of weapons, you know, Keenan and Allen isn't quite the separator that he was. He'll still make some great plays, but you know, he's not, I don't think he's right. The guy that scares you as much as he used to. And Mike Williams obviously is fantastic, but he's not a separator in and of itself. And he's able to make all these acrobatic catches and make freak plays, but still, you know, I don't think it really maximizes the strength of who they have. Mm -hmm. And if we could just see Herbert be encouraged more to use his strengths, it could really keep them out of these situations where they're behind the chains or at the very least get to the other side of the field where they're still in scoring territory. And if you get stalled, right, there's points on the board, but you're not, you know, getting stopped on the other side of the field where these drives are just ending with nothing. Yeah. I will dream of a fully healthy OBJ with no injury concern in the charge with, with Justin Herbert next year as a free agent. Like if that, that's a dream, I get that. It's a huge if with OBJ's health at this point. But that's the team, man. Like they need the guy, they need the ace that that you know, as much as I like Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, Allen is clearly, I think, on the downside here now. I love Mike Williams, but like they don't have a Jamar Chase, like they don't have right. one of those types, they don't have a Tyreek Hill, like they need one of those types, I think. And OBJ at his best was one of those types. So I don't think know that he'll be that player again. That's obviously a huge question mark, but the Chargers should be one of the teams trying to find out. All right, yeah. what do you have for uh your let's go Jets now? And we'll okay. save the Patriots for the end. How about that? That's uh, fine. I was going to say, say the best for last. I was going to say, now save my go. favorites for last. I can't even, <laughs> I can't even pretend. Um, so for the Jets, I think this one's pretty obvious. It's that defense, man. They're absolutely balling. And they're truly, I think, starting to look like the East Coast 49ers. They got that massive defensive line where you see a lot of the teams will have big defensive tackles and more athletic edge rushers where they're really trying to, you know, be more pass trust centric and just pray that they can hang when it comes to defending the run. But the Jets are like the 49ers. They get a bunch of big dudes who can do both and just bully you in the trenches all game. They don't have to blitz because they have those guys that can disrupt, especially in the middle, obviously, Quinn and Williams has been one of the best defensive players in football, not just interior defensive linemen. He's been killing it across the board. Then you got his brother behind him, Quincy Williams, who's just taking guys' heads off every single week. Um, next to C.J. Mosley, who obviously is one of the more cerebral players in the game, excluding you know the fourth down that he gave up when he tried to pull a Troy Polamalu and jump over the line of scrimmage, which is just objectively hilarious. And then on the back end, <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> and then in the back end, you got D.J. Reed, who's an undersized guy, but everyone talks about sauce dj reed has been getting a lot of tough assignments in his mm -hmm. own respect and he's been having a very very good season he deserves a lot more respect i think michael carter's been solid in the slot and then obviously going to the guy that everybody does know about sauce 
I don't think that, you know, if you just look at his PFF grade, it's similar with the Patriots corner and uh, Jack Jones, where it sees rookies with these astronomical grades. With Jones, you know, with the way that PFF grades, there's times where the ball's not thrown to them and they're giving them more big plays than you're actually seeing. Sauce, that's not really the case. Mm-hmm. Now, there, I think there was one time it really seemed like they were trying to protect him. It was actually uh, two times. One was against the Bengals, where he spent more time against T. Higgins, but also against the Bills the first round. He didn't play against Stephon Diggs. Like, they pretty much made a concentrated effort to make sure that was not his assignment, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. He's still a rookie. Yeah. It was still relatively early on in the season. Uh, but he's going up against really good receivers, playing with a veteran's confidence, the patience you see, and just how cerebral he is. Like, one of the biggest catches he's given up all year was the one that Diggs on, like, the first play of the game um, in MetLife. And that was only because Diggs ran a route that he hadn't seen all season. So he's a really smart player. He's been fantastic. Uh, I think their safeties, I think they're probably the biggest liability in that defense. I think if they're like in those quarter structures, they like a lot and you can create one-on-one matchups. That's really the way that you get a lot of your chunk plays against them. If you got Mm -hmm. the speed to do so, Mm -hmm. but I mean, they've done it to Josh Allen twice every week. It feels like they're either punishing quarterbacks or they got tight coverage or both. So I really, it was, this was an easy choice for me. That defense is killing it. And if they're going to make a push, it's going to be because they just shut down whoever comes in their way. The 49ers comparison is pretty apt. I think not only in terms of the structure, but also just the mentality that they play with. Like these guys play and it's a solid D'Amico Ryan's In fact, I think, I mean, they play like they want to hurt people. Like they, I mean, yeah. their corners hit like linebackers. You know, Jordan Whitehead's mm-hmm. one of the most physical safeties in the league, and they targeted him in free agency and brought mm-hmm. him in. Yeah, tone setter, great run defender, fly downhill, hammers people. You know, whoever they've had playing linebacker, Quan Alexander's wrecked people this year. You know, Mosley's mm-hmm. looked like a renewed man this season. I thought he was cooked. Um, Quincy <laughs> Williams, who by the way, just unbelievable. Like, so funny to me still. Quinn Williams goes through the whole draft cycle, right? He's just he's going top five, top three, all these, you know, everybody knows who he is. Nobody even paid attention to the fact his brother was in the same class. That's how irrelevant his brother was. Ridiculous. Like nobody talked about it at all. Then he goes in the third round. Everybody's like, hold on a second. Like, what is who is this? Are guy? they like, are they related? <laughs> yeah, and they're like, no, this is actually Quinn Williams' brother. It's like his brother. How do we not hear about him on draft? You know, it's just and then he ends up being a player, like he's he's good. Um, which made it even more, you know, you think what it's like, oh, they're drafting for the genes. No, he's like legitimately good and so yeah they just have a ton of people and then the defensive line oh my gosh and so yeah they just have a lot of people that uh play that game the right way defensively but i'm curious what your argument against them is going to be because there's a lot of we know the jets are not a real contender in our in our eyes probably right now i know the record suggests that they need to be included here but what's your argument against them because i feel like there's a couple ways you can go here against i'm honestly just gonna go injuries which almost feels like kind of a cop-out but if you if you think about it they still have Brees hall if they still have vera tucker they still have makai becton this is a legit playoff contender especially if we've gotten to the point in the season where it's like okay zach wilson is not it like let's give mike white a shot i'm not gonna sit here and pretend that like mike white is definitely their future quarterback but I don't know how you watch what he did last week and don't say he should be the starter for the foreseeable future until you're in position to get another young quarterback who you want to groom and come in. Because one, the toughness. Like, I think one important aspect of the quarterback position is someone who can galvanate the locker room, at least galvanate the offense. And man, they love him. The energy that you see around Mike White versus Zach Wilson is completely different. So I think he, if they still had Brees Hall to give them 
a really genuinely scary run game. And then Barrett Tucker on that offensive line, it creates stability. Makai Becton obviously was struggling the past couple of years, but he's still a very talented player. Who knows what his progression could have been. And either way, he's better than the options they have right now. Uh, because right now you're running back. They really did get to uh, see what Bam uh, Knight actually had in the tank, which was nice. He is a rookie who I actually thought was pretty interesting as a prospect. Didn't get a lot of attention, was undrafted. But then he had a great game last week. He's been showing some flashes. Mike Carter's kind of been sliding down, not really living up to the hopes of some of the Jets fans. And even though you have some optimism and, okay, Bam Knight's doing well, you have a talented receiving core led by Garrett Wilson, who's been outstanding. He looked great against Trey White. Like, again, as you said, Trey White may not be back to full health, but still Wilson was putting some stuff on him at the top of those routes. And he's got that Stevie Johnson route running style where Mm -hmm. it's just hard to know where he's going to go. And it just makes him so hard to defend. So they have enough pieces where they're at least interesting. And I think they will be, they can score on a few offensive drives, Mm -hmm. but it's just, they're missing too many pieces for me to think that this is a legitimate contender. And you know, when they really need the plays are going to be able to make them consistently. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's completely fair. Like they're, they're just a few pieces away. Now I think they're on the right path though. It won't surprise me, but again, it's the quarterback, right? Like Mike White's yeah. played well. I, I I think we just need to see a lot more before we're willing to say, Oh, this is the guy he could take him, take him places. Yeah. He can contend for a super bowl with this guy. Like we're not, we're not there yet. So, you know, we don't even need to go down that road necessarily. I'll, I'll jump in here with the Titans. I'll save the Ravens for my last team. So I don't have to finish with the Titans um, <laughs> argument, for, argument for the Titans. I think the best argument for the Titans being a real contender this year, Taylor, is if Jesus Christ came down and played quarterback <laughs> and wide receiver for them. Maybe. Like, I don't, I don't really. See Are we talking clipboard Jesus or like the other one? <laughs> no, the real one. Like this ain't Charlie Whitehurst. We're talking about the real Jesus Christ, like coming down. Like I just don't see it. Like their defense, I would maybe change a game with a few takeaways, but and they look. I'll give them all this credit. They have even with injuries to Dupree and to Harold Landry. They have posted strong pressure numbers this season, pressure rates. They've been dominant against the run. They have found good play with their depth defensive line. They have developed defensive tackles as well, probably as any team in the league um, around Jeffrey Simmons. And so they deserve a lot of credit for that. It's just like, you can't win at the highest levels with that. And we're seeing that now, like the the starts, the way they rebounded from 0 and 2 was impressive. We said that, but you know, they entered a stretch of games where we said, we're going to find out what the Titans are about. And they've lost all those games. And so I think, we just are seeing like, there's just too many limits on this team. Like the arguments against them are too strong. You know, the argument for them basically would be that the defense gets crazy, take over, take away happy um, changes the game with those, you know, whether it's pressure on the quarterback or may make a team one dimensional that can't handle it. They get kind of favorable matchups with the way things unfold. That's happened in the past with them, how they went to an AFC championship a couple years ago. They've kind of found those favorable matchups um, and they're not that team anymore. That window seems to be closing for them. The, the argument against them is just kind of overwhelming. There's a lot of different directions you could go here. They're probably, I would say, probably the least intimidating team maybe in all the ones we'll talk about today. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly an argument with the Patriots and, and the Jets probably too. But um, by all statistical measures, their passing attack is just pretty miserable. And it's just so hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, today's NFL, you just have to be like unbelievably innovative offensively to work around that or, you know, I mean – they're 29th and just raw passing yards, which like oh, normally I would point at that statistic, but like, yeah, at week 15, I'd, I'll point at that. Like if you're bottom of the league, it passing, looks exactly like gonna, what it is. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, 14 passing touchdowns. Probably not going to cut it. Like, 
right. Robert Woods just went over 400 yards receiving. He's like at 406. That's our leading receiver. Like this is just, they are not going to scare anybody in the playoffs. Like they're just not, they don't have, they'll go get there because they have he's out, you know, they'll get there, but they are just almost impossibly boring as a team. Um, they just rarely do you see a team like reach contending status in today's NFL with that, with this type of resume, you can, you know, you get the weak division and you see a team squeak through the bucks are kind of doing this right now. on the other side of things and the other South, the NFC South, but you, they're, they're you know, just, again, like not really that interesting to watch or to analyze the team by, by opinion right now. Um, and so, yeah, I, it's hard to make an argument for them in good faith. Uh, but I would say, yeah, getting some, getting turnover lucky and turnover happy um, on defense, that could be a good start for them. It's like the Vrabel effect giveth and the Vrabel effect taketh away. Like, they'll be competitors. Yeah. They'll, you know, they'll be in the race, but are they always going to be fun to watch? Yeah, it's like, Maybe they not. remind me kind of a, like, there was that, Walt Garrison was an old running back, and they used to say he was the most reliable back in the league. Like, you ask him to get you four yards, and he'd get you four. Ask him to get you 20 yards, and he'd get you four. And that's what it feels like <laughs> the Titans are. Like, it just feels like that's what, they, that's what they are. Like, they're tough. They'll get you four yards if you need it. Ask him to get 20, and they'll still get you four. Like, you're just, you know, they're reliable in that way, but not in a way that has a high ceiling at all. Yeah. And then you kind of think about it, like Ryan Tannehill kind of is what you're hoping that Mike White turns into. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, he could be your quarterback for a couple of years if you don't have the draft stock to get somebody who's pretty good and you're, like, too competitive for your own good. And yeah. he'll win you some – if the structure's good around you, he'll win you some games. Yeah. But uh, maybe Mike White will exceed that. Who knows? I don't want to necessarily put a ceiling on his head, but it kind of seems like it's, – it's hard to overlook that parallel. Like, yeah, they they both feel like real good backup quarterbacks. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I agree. All right. Who you got? Patriots. Close it out. Patriots. Patriots. And I'll go Ravens. We'll close it out. All right. So I don't think these are going to surprise anybody either. Their defense. If they're going to win, it's going to be because it's one of those games where the defense decides, oh, you know what? I'm going to score for us because we haven't done anything for two quarters. And, you know, it's just some either tip pass or pressure or something like the defensive front, first of all, is already very exciting. You got Josh Uche heating up. Matt Judon's been getting extra attention pretty regularly, which is making opportunities for other people. And he's still able to get pressures a few times a game. Dietrich Wise, who not a lot of people know about, but he's been more of a rotational player for the Patriots since he was drafted in 2017. Was always a pretty good pass rusher, but again, more of a rotational guy. This year, he's playing damn near every snap. He's lining up inside, outside. He's causing pressure. He's been a little bit better against the run. But you got those three guys who are the top pass rushers. Christian Barrymore has been on injured reserve and he's like, he's, I know that he was at practice today, so he's probably coming back soon. So that defensive front is about to get real nasty. And then in the back end, or at least the linebackers, Juwan Bentley obviously is one of the bigger linebackers in the league. Everybody thinks of him as just a run stopper, but he plays almost every down for them, unless it's a really long yarded situation or super obvious pass. And he's been really good. He's one of the better run defenders in the league. And he's gotten so much playing experience that he's smart enough to know his limitations. So he doesn't really get exposed in coverage because he takes really good angles. He gets the depth that he needs and he's a good tackler in space, you know, relative to his skill set. You know, if you Mm -hmm. put him against Tyreek Hill, probably he's going to be great. But (laughs) most guys, he's functional. Then they just have a rotation of athleticism around him with Raekwon McMillan. Uh, You got Kyle Duggar and Adrian Phillips at linebacker sometimes. Mac Wilson in a lot of passing situations, especially if they're trying to spy the quarterback. So they got a lot of speed at linebacker, which made them a lot more competitive in some games this year. And then the secondary, 
obviously that crazy secondary or the crazy safety group they have with McCordy, Adrian mm-hmm. Phillips, as I said again, Kyle Phil, uh, Kyle Duggar, and then Jabril Peppers, who's been a guy that they're rotating, putting in at different spots, blitzing. Uh, actually, against the Bills, he was a the guy they had pressing step on digs with safety help over the top from some zone mm-hmm. coverages and passing situations. So it's been interesting watching how they use him. So all that versatility back there. Mm-hmm. And then with the corners, John Jones struggled against Justin Jefferson and step on digs pretty significantly. Honestly, two of the probably worst games I've seen from him in a very mm-hmm. long time. Um, Cause he is undersized and he hasn't been the top guy until this year, been great for most of the season, but definitely struggled those two games, but still he's been really competitive and a turnover, not machine, but a guy who could definitely create some opportunities and take advantage of them as well. Bunch of rookies that have been rotating at cornerback, Jack Jones, Marcus Jones, you know, to complete the trio of Joneses they got back there, which is mm-hmm. absolutely absurd. Uh, but the rookies have been playing a lot, and they've actually been able to have some contributions. Jack Jones, super aggressive guy who is forcing turnovers. So, yeah. I, I just went through the entire defense, but they got a lot mm-hmm. of playmakers back there who really can change the course of a game. And then on offense, I think if they have more health in the trenches, if they could possibly get Isaiah Wynn back, or if they can just get some semblance, mm-hmm. it's so late in the season. So I don't know if it's fair to say consistency, but at least a group that they're confident in where they're not plugging in a backup who has no business being on the field, like Connor McDermott, who's only been on the team for two weeks and he's been starting. Uh, if they can get some continuity there, and their running backs healthy as well. Like I, I even tweeted a few days ago, if you give me a healthy offensive line and backfield with Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, and then Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris, the rookies who had a really good game last week against the Cardinals, if you get a good stable and the line is in good shape, I think they could legitimately win maybe a playoff game on the back of their defense. Uh, but yeah, it's <laughs> maybe I'm overcompensating because they're my team and I'm trying to get everybody like any possible reason they could actually be competitive. But if I'm being real, it, it's not likely but you know they may squeak yeah. into the playoffs and maybe the defense keeps them in the game for a half but you know mm-hmm. it's uh it's not looking great but their defense is has been very competitive it has been i'm i can't remember it was the last time they had a four man if, if Bearmore comes back and he's the same player it was or is is impactful as a pass rusher as he was as a rookie and you've mm-hmm. got Wise, and obviously you've got uh, Judon playing, continue to play well. And then this emergence of Uche, which is not a flash in the pan, in my opinion. Like he yeah. is a legitimate stud as a pass rusher now. He just really mm-hmm. need the reps to be able to find himself. Yeah. Sure. It's just, it's, it is somewhat hilarious to me that that happened on the Patriots, who have not necessarily been known for developing edge rushers from draft prospects, who, especially guys who are like, Oh, I don't know if you can play every down, but you sure are a great rusher. Like that's not really right. what they do. Like, and so it's very funny to me that here's this guy who legitimately looks like he could be like an annual double digit 12 sack type of guy. And then the Patriots on the team, that's going to probably be most likely to play him 25 snaps a game <laughs> because if he's not a great run defender as well. But anyway, my, my point to you is question to you is as a Patriots guy, is this the best four man pass rush we've seen from the Patriots since like the the Chandler Jones days. Like I'm trying to remember a better four man group that the Patriots would have rolled out at any time over the last handful of years. I think you have to say so. Cause Judon has been one of the most impactful pass rushers that they've had since Chandler Jones. Mm-hmm. And even he's admitted that Josh Uche is better as a pure pass rusher because with Judon, you get the speed rushes, those really violent inside counters and occasionally a bull rush but you just see so much more from Uche. Like he's, they both have pretty good burst, but mm-hmm. the bend, like even Cam Jordan compared it to Von Miller. And I saw it in, I think it was against the Bills where he dipped around the edge. And I was like, whoa, yeah. like he got yeah. real low. It didn't even touch the ground. Right. So when you got those two guys on the edge, then Barrymore, who 
Adam Butler was a really good zero technique, like pass rushing defensive tackle for him. Mm-hmm. And then Barrymore is like, if you put that explosive ability in a bigger body with, you know, mm-hmm. that violent hand use that he has, and then Dietrich wise, again, who's been good for them for a long mm-hmm. time and is having his career year. I really don't think there has been, especially that one where you legitimately put four guys down. And it's like, yeah. I think, Van Noy, it was kind of close and gave you that, like, he is a good rusher, but it was mm-hmm. more that he was a guy who's going to win on stunts sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. on schemes where you get yeah. him unblocked. But this is one where if you, you know, put Mac Wilson down and create a five-man surface and everyone's got one-on-one matchups, you're going to lose somewhere pretty much yeah. every single time. And I can't remember the last time I could confidently say that. It's amazing as much as we, you know, and rightfully so, knock Belichick for a lot. I mean, they've had terrible free agency signings and they've had horrible drafts and a lack of vision, I think, in hiring coaches and all that. And I think all the criticisms are fair. One thing that just hasn't changed is the Duke can just coach that out of a defense. Like just yeah. players, development, finding exact roles for guys to thrive in, playing them at the right moments. Just it's uncanny how good he is at that. Um, yes, sir. Blows me away. Yeah. Uh, all right. Ravens. I'm just going to combine the two here. Like because the compliments are also the insults for the Ravens, or not the insults, but the, ne- the positives are almost the negatives too. Like I just don't know what is better about the Ravens than in years past. Like we've all, they've been like a good team, but like, what is better about them? They're still a middling passing team. They're below average weapons outside of Mark Andrews, just like that's been, um, they run the ball well, but Lamar is a big part of that. I don't think they have like a game changing back. And I don't know. I think it's, there's, we've had enough of a sample size to know, to ask, you know, would that really matter even if they did? And now Lamar's heard and out for a while. And even if he comes back, will he be rusty? What kind of, Shape is he going to be in when that happens? Um, they're kind of middle of the league on defense. They're below that in pass defense, very similar to last year, above it in run defense. It's kind of just what we're getting with the Ravens, I feel like, at this point. Like, I know their health is a little bit better this year, and that may be the one thing people point to, but it has not really been super consequential on tape to see that happen. Like, it's not like Marcus Peters or Marlon Humphrey or these, some of these guys that were banged up and missing time last year have now been the difference makers this year. And in fact, some of those guys have just turned around and gotten hurt again this year. Um, Stanley's been in and out. And so the left tackle. So I just don't know what is better about the Ravens that we're supposed to buy into them as a real contending team. People have done this last couple of regular seasons with the Ravens. They've said, Oh, the Harbaugh's a good coach. Lamar's a good quarterback. DeCost is a good GM. This must be a team that's a real contender. And while I think all three of those things are true, I wonder if there's a ceiling on any or all of those three things that like might be short of being the type of team that people see them as because they are a good team. Um, they have a good backup quarterback too. That's helped them win games each of the last couple of years when Lamar's missed time. I just wonder what is the ceiling for this Ravens team? Cause it doesn't feel like they've gotten any closer to trying to explore what that ceiling is. And I actually kind of give a little bit of blame for that to DeCosta. I know it's kind of a Ballard situation that everybody wants to bow down to the guy because he gets hundred draft picks every year and he hits on enough of them uh, to, to keep the, the talent pool in the team flowing, but he has not made an all in move. Like this is not a team that's really tried to, I feel like make them type of move. That's going to put them over the top um, and acquire those kind of weapons. And um, you know, get an offense that's going to be more dynamic than it's been in the past. It it really isn't. It's so Lamar dependent to be awesome. And even as good as Lamar is, it hasn't proven to be enough in past years. So I don't know that it's going to be this year, especially now that he's been banged up a little bit the last couple of years and you're putting a lot on him. And I wonder if he's going to be able to hold up under that kind of pressure. So the argument against them is what's the best argument for them. That's the argument against them. Like, I just don't know that there's any argument for the Ravens as a true contender that would be anything more than we hope this happens. Like there's nothing about their profile to me that stands out in a way that says, Oh, 
if everything hits right, like no, I think they would need injuries to other teams to really, they're going to be in the dance. They probably win a game at the beginning of the playoffs. We'll see the matchups are. I haven't thought about that far ahead. Good decent chance to even win a playoff game, but I just would be shocked to see them like really contending in the AFC championship game or something like that. Unless they like faced a rash of injuries from another team. Like I just don't see any, anything on this team. That's like, if they could do this, they could reach the ceiling. I don't see that in Baltimore in any way. And maybe I'm wrong. Do you agree or disagree with that? I don't. I feel like the defense has failed to meet expectation, especially again with all the talent they have. Right. Uh, obviously, they tried. They've got to do like better. five good safeties and all these corners they paid a ton of money to, and they're just like below average against the pass. I'm like, come on. And all the resources they invested in the front as well, and their pass mm-hmm. rush isn't as good as you'd want it to be, or is it, especially as it's been in years past. And I'm not going to act like I've studied the Ravens' pass scheme intricately. I have not. But anytime I do watch it, it almost reminds me of off with the Rams where it just feel and I'm not saying it's because of Lamar it just feels so rudimentary that it almost feels like there's either a level of incompetence or they just don't trust him because it's nothing that really challenges teams it's obviously they're very run heavy and most of the time when they really need to pass it turns into Lamar either making a freak play with his legs or throwing downfield but it just isn't anything that's challenging enough where I feel like it really gives defenses something that they need to stress Unless, again, you're just talking about purely Lamar's ability to make plays. So, I mean, obviously being able to run the ball in the playoffs is huge. But at the same time, if you really need to throw consistently in these games where if the Ram- if the Ravens get down and it's just a drop back passing game, a lot of the time it's like pretty much from what I've seen, it's just like a few main concepts that aren't terribly difficult to defend. And then, like you said, you have to rely on Lamar doing some superhuman thing to move the ball and punch it into the end zone. So yeah, I, I, I've not sold on them as a contender whatsoever. Yeah. feel the same way. Well, there you go. There's nine teams right there, folks. You just sort of Taylor and I run through all of them in the AFC, all with, I think all the all have winning records right now. Um, and we made the case for and against them being legit contenders. Pretty obvious which teams we gravitate toward a little bit more than others. Same teams that most people, I think, would say uh, in those situations. But I think the AFC playoffs are shaping up to be an absolute blast. Taylor it should be incredibly yeah. competitive to watch these teams go at it. And I'm excited to see what you know, all the teams we mentioned aren't going to be in the dance when it comes down to it. Two of them will miss out on what we're talking about here. And so uh, we'll see who those two teams are, but we were going to run through the simulator, but for time's sake, we're going to cut that short. We're not going to do the simulator yet. We got four weeks to go to, we got, we got to wait till later in the season. We'll do last two weeks of the year, we'll run through the simulator and try and uh, set up what the playoff field might look like. But Taylor really appreciate you taking the time to be with us on the show today and give some great insight, learned a ton listening to you. And I appreciate your insights on all these teams. Man, it lived up to my excitement level, man. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Taylor Kyles, ladies and gentlemen, that's K-Y-L-E-S. It's T Kyles 39. Is that what it is? 39. Yes, 39. sir. Danny Woodhead. Oh, yeah. There we go. Danny Woodhead. <laughs> T Kyles 39 on Twitter. Make sure you give him a follow. Good stuff happening and great stuff to come as well from Taylor and great stuff to come here on the show as well. We'll be back next week. Uh, we will get in a couple episodes actually before Christmas. Um, next week so we should have a pretty decent slate of normal pods uh next week here on the show uh we'll talk nfl with ollie early in the week and box with paul as long as they don't totally sicken us uh he'll be back talk some box and we'll probably have a guest later in the week as well so thanks everybody so much for subscribing and for listening actually this one's going to be a free pod so tell your friends and families if you like it and hear this pod you say hey like i'll i'll subscribe to this pod pop over to audibles and analytics hit subscribe and it's like 417 a month if you do the annual deal something like that um and so yeah it's a it's a great opportunity to uh get some good 
quality NFL podcast content. And also the draft content is coming too. I started my draft stuff this week, uh, starting to dive into prospects and take a look at them. So with the season winding down soon, and a lot of you looking ahead, a lot of your fan base is looking ahead uh, to the off season, the draft stuff will be coming and that content will be up at audibles and analytics as well.